Beautiful. Thank you. So yesterday was winter solstice, the longest night of the year. There's a reason in this season that you know, pagans light the Yule log and Jews kindle Hanukkah candles and Christians light Christmas trees, which is also pagan, but that's another sermon. Uh, that is to remind ourselves that the light is returning even in this dark time of the year. And indeed, starting today, daylight is already beginning to grow incrementally longer. But for now, spring is months away. We are at the beginning of winter, a time when some species just give up on it altogether and go into hibernation, right? So... It seems like an auspicious time to reflect on this curious phenomenon of sleep. It's cold. Why not try to stay bundled up a little longer if we can, where it is soft and cozy and warm? So if you think back over the past week, how many of you feel like you consistently got enough sleep this week? Any hands? All right, I see some. That's good. Who feels like they definitely didn't get enough sleep? All right. And how about who's, I see double hands from some of you. All right. How about some of you who are in the middle or not sure? Uh, That's fair. Uh, So a fair representation for all of that. Or here's another important test. How long has it been, maybe it's quite recently, how long has it been since you woke up before your alarm clock feeling refreshed? And so some of, you know, maybe that's, (laughs) if that's frequently the case for you, great. Um, But if it's not the case for you, you're in the majority. Uh, Two-thirds of adults, not just in the U.S., but two-thirds of adults in all across developed nations fail to obtain the recommended eight hours of nightly sleep. If you're not sure how much um, sleep you get, there's actually an app for that. Uh, If you have an iPhone, if you'll look at that heart app that's on your home screen, the health app, check that out. It's actually really cool in general. It's a little scary about how much they're tracking you. That, again, another sermon about privacy and surveillance, but check out that health app or on Android devices. It's called Google Fit. Uh, It should already be tracking your sleep. If it isn't, there's just another adjustment or two you can make, and it will be. Though, actually, unless you're wearing a device, um, it's not actually tracking your sleep. It's just tracking the amount of time you're in bed, right? And you want to be actually asleep for eight hours. Uh, So so the health app on my iPhone, for example, tells me that the past week I've been in bed an average of seven hours, 53 minutes. So I'm definitely not getting eight hours of sleep, right, if I'm only in bed seven hours, 53 minutes. For the past month, my average drops to seven hours, 27 minutes. I try to take about 20 minutes each day that I can to take a nap. Uh, That helps make up some of the difference. Who are my nappers out there? Who are my champion nappers? All right, good. And I know some people have trouble napping, but for anyone wondering, napping really does make a difference if you're able to and can on tests done in the late afternoon or early evening. People who take a nap perform 20% better than they themselves did when tested with the same or similar tests on days that they didn't nap. So it really can make a 20% difference. And many of you maybe experienced that. You kind of woke up and felt, oh yeah, I feel a lot better. If you're, if you're someone who tends to wake up groggy from a nap, well, one, set it a clock for 30 minutes. You shouldn't be napping too long. But two, do y'all know Daniel Pink often talks about um, a nappuccino? Do y'all know that like a cappuccino? So caffeine takes about 20 minutes to hit your system. So if you actually drink some caffeine, then take a nap, it'll actually kind of hit your system about the time you should be waking up. 
Nappuccino. It's a thing. It works. So here's the thing. I know I feel better if I get around eight hours of sleep, but if I scroll back through the past few years of my health app, there are significant number of months where my average drops to around six hours a night. Uh, these results are from time, the times that either my to-do list or, let's be honest, a time when I'm like, oh, I'll just watch one more episode right, of something has kept me up too late. And I'll confess that there are times when I've followed that old adage, oh, I'll just sleep when I'm dead. Have any of you thought, about, thought that yourself sometimes? And I feel like we've gone through a phase in our culture that is, is beginning to um, wane a little bit. We went through this kind of serious emphasis on time management uh, to the detriment of um, self-care. So we really, I feel like I went through this, some of you may can relate, where I thought about how much, what's the least amount of sleep I can get and, and get more done. So that's not a great attitude, it turns out. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love sleeping, but I also love getting things done. I love checking stuff off my list, especially if it's been bothering me and really wanting to get to it. So I can have this temptation of, I'll just stay up a little bit later, or I'll just stay up till one or two and just get to inbox zero or whatever. Over the past few weeks, however, I've been prioritizing sleep more, and I plan to continue to do so primarily because I've really been convinced by the data presented in a book titled Why We Sleep by a guy named Dr. Matthew Walker. He's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. As one reviewer described it, this book is everything you need to know about sleep, but we're too tired to ask. It was published in 2007. Have any of you read it? We had a hand or two in the early service. All right. It's one of those books that I have just kept hearing about over the past few years from people in different parts of my life of just like, oh, that book is so good, or it made such a difference in my life. So I finally got around to reading it. I'm not alone. Bill Gates also just finally got around to reading it and included it on his best top five best books that I read in 2019. So he's been championing it as well. I'd actually put it on the top 10 books that I've read this decade. Uh, and I read a lot of books. Uh, it's, it's a really important, uh, significant book. Uh, prior to reading it, I, of course, knew sleep was important. I've read various articles here, there, but the sort of thoroughness and updated information in this book is, is really helpful and compelling, at least to me. It's convinced me that the benefits of getting enough sleep uh, combined with the consequences of inadequate sleep are really wildly more impactful than I had really previously grasped. And part of why I'm spending a sermon on this topic is that sleep is not only really important, it's also a huge part of our lives. I mean, if we're doing it right, most of us should be spending about a third of our lives asleep, right? So really a topic worthy of engagement and more serious reflection than it sometimes receives. I should also acknowledge here at the top that I know each of us really has a quite intimate and complex relationship with sleep so that has likely changed over time. So I'm going to do my best to highlight some of the insights and best practices from the science of sleep, but please feel free to translate those into your unique circumstances. And I also don't want any of you to, to the extent avoidable, to leave here so anxious about the importance of getting eight hours sleep that you don't sleep at all tonight, you know, or something like that. That's not what I'm going for. I'm more going for cutting against that inclination of staying up late. When you know you, you're starting to feel like you need to go to sleep, what I'm really wanting the takeaway of this sermon to be is to give yourself permission to let go 
and get some rest. You know, I need to turn off the TV. I need to shut off my computer. I need to stop looking at my phone. And as Samuel L. Jackson so lovingly told us, go the bleep to sleep, right? If you don't know that book, Google it later. Um, Sleep when you can get it really is amazing. And what happens when we don't get enough sleep is astounding, scary, really. Uh, Now, perhaps you're one of those rare individuals who's able to operate without impairment on six hours or less of sleep. You probably aren't. You may think you are. Uh, You could be. Such people do exist. Um, More often than not, people that subjectively experience themselves as fine on six or less hours of sleep objectively don't perform as fine. They're like the people at the bar. They're like, I'm fine. They're not fine. Uh, So, uh, indeed, in the words of one of Dr. Walker's colleagues, the number of people who can survive on five hours of sleep or less without any impairment expressed as a percent of the population and rounded to the nearest whole number is zero. (laughs) Said differently, it is far, far more likely that you will be struck by lightning in your lifetime, which is about a 1 in 12,000 odds, than being truly capable of being able to... um, continue to operate on like very minimal sleep without impairment. For the vast majority of us, one of the most significant consequences of regularly sleeping less than like six or seven hours is that our immune system is drastically lowered. Uh, some of you have heard the story. I really experienced that uh, my third year of being the minister of this congregation. I was really burning the candles at both ends. I was doing all the things. And I I mean, often I get sick like once a year. I got sick three times that winter. And that was just this real sign for me of like, I am wearing myself down. So I had to change some things. To list only a few of the quite long list of consequences that uh, Walker explores in his book, getting inadequate sleep is correlated to increased risk of cancer and many other diseases. It exacerbates all psychiatric conditions and it causes us to eat more than we would if we were well rested. Even moderate reductions in sleep for only one week can disrupt blood sugar levels to the extent that you appear pre-diabetic. Now let me also get to some of the good news. I, I love this passage from Dr. Walker's book, imagining what it would be like if the following headline broke out later today around the world. You know, revolutionary new treatment discovered. It will make you live longer enhance your memory, increase your creativity, make you look more attractive, make you slimmer than you would be otherwise, lower your food cravings, it'll help protect you from cancer and dementia, it will help ward off colds and flu, it will lower your risk of heart attack, stroke, and diabetes, it will make you happier, less depressed, and less anxious. If that level of results were suddenly available in pill form, it would be the new billion-dollar-a-year pharmaceutical. But sleep, it already does all those things. It's free without a prescription. All you need, to the extent it is available to you in this season of your life, is to give yourself permission to get more sleep. And I know easier said than done for many of us for a variety of reasons. Uh, like, for, who, are my, who are my larks out there that just get up, you know, morning, morning people? All right, my wife is. How, where are my night owls? All right, I feel you. Like, for me, it's like, it's really easy to, I try to be in bed by 11, but it's just really tempting to me to stay up till midnight, one 
too. Like, it's just really easy. So, I mean, I get it. Uh, and, and as I've been really trying to be consistent about capping myself, like turning off devices at 10 and then really trying to be heading to bed by like 1040 so I can be in bed by 11, it's like in you know, physics, when you, when you decrease the volume, the pressure starts to increase. Like, so over the course of weeks, I can begin to see cutting myself off instead of continuing to work. The pressure can start to build of when am I going to get done the things that I used to get done at like midnight or one or two. So the struggle is real, uh, but it's also really great. I've been much more so than the last few weeks, the much more so than years, I've been waking up before my alarm clock feeling refreshed. That's also really fun. Uh, so, so it's staying up till like 2 a.m., but anyway. Uh, so in our exploration of sleep, perhaps it's also helpful to be honest that sleep is actually a pretty strange phenomenon if you think about it. To adapt another of Dr. Walker's analogies, imagine a world in which sleep was actually rare instead of like everyone doing it. In such a reality, new parents might occasionally be met with the following news. Congratulations, your child appears to be healthy for the most part, should live a long life, but our tests did turn out one thing. Your child has sleep. Rest assured, sleeping is perfectly safe, but it may take some getting used to for your family. About once a day, your child will lap into a state of apparent coma for about eight hours or so. The body will lie still, and your child's mind will typically be filled with stunning, bizarre hallucinations. Again, be assured, your child's going to wake up each time about eight or so hours later and be back to normal, but this, is, this in total will take up about a third of your child's life. That would be like weird news to receive if that weren't something that everyone does. Sleep is weird, but it's also everywhere, so we kind of take it sometimes as a matter of course. Sleep is also kind of bizarre from an evolutionary perspective, if you think about it. You know, you can't pass on your genes if you're asleep, and they're quite vulnerable to injury and death. Uh, but sleep must go back to a very early common ancestor, because without exception, every single animal species to date that has been studied either sleeps or does something um, remarkably like sleep. We're talking about the entire animal kingdom, insects, fish, amphibians, reptiles, even very primitive worms. Indeed, scientists have discovered that the very simplest form of unicellular organisms like bacteria have these active and passive phases that correspond to the light and dark cycle of our planet. So that's probably the deep root of our own circadian rhythms that then help create sleep and wake. Sleep really runs wide and deep. Now, some of you out there may be thinking, oh, hold on a second, what about sharks? Don't they not sleep? Well, it's true that sharks never close their eyes, but we've come to discover that's because they don't have eyelids. They do actually sleep. I should also add that while all animals sleep, they don't all sleep the same way. There's a wide range, for example, like elephants only legitimately need four hours of sleep, whereas brown bats sleep about 19 hours a day. There are many other species, you know, at various points in between. My favorite evolutionary sleep development is found in dolphins and whales and birds. They're capable of what's called unihemispheric sleep. So they can put half of their brain to sleep while keeping the other half awake. That's pretty cool. Uh, might be useful, but it's also kind of cool to be able to go fully to sleep, right? Uh, Walker's book also taught me some helpful terms for reflecting on sleep so that when we feel ourselves getting sleepier, 
and sleepier and sleepier. Uh, what's happening is that the, uh, the longer we're awake, a chemical named um, adenosine is building up more and more in our brain, and that creates what scientists call sleep pressure. So sleep pressure is the technical term for that increasingly foggy, groggy feeling you stay the later you um, stay awake. Unless, for example, you use a stimulant like caffeine. So adenosine, there are these receptors in your brain, and adenosine increasingly fills them up unless, unless caffeine gets there first, and it blocks uh, adenosine from building up in the receptors until the caffeine wears off, in which case the adenosine's still been building up, and then it rushes um, back in. Uh, I also want to spend just a little time talking about the underlying question of whether we're, various ones of us are getting enough sleep. Walker suggests two guidelines. The most important question is probably, when you wake up in the morning, could you easily fall back asleep around 10 or 11 a.m.? You know, by 10 or 11, do you find yourself like, if that's the case for you, you are probably not getting enough sleep. That's a number one sign. That's also uh, either in quality or quantity. That's uh, also important. Uh, it's also a really big thing I talk to with initial meditators. People also come up, often come up to me and say, I want to meditate, but I keep falling asleep. So what I tell them is, you need to get more sleep. You know, start, the baseline for good meditation is getting solid sleep so that you can be relaxed but alert in your meditation posture, unless you can, you can also use meditation to go to sleep. I'll say more about that later. Uh, the second guideline is harder, at least for me. Who are my caffeine coffee lovers out there? All right, the holy sacrament of coffee, right? Uh, well, Dr. Walker's second major guideline is, can you function optimally before noon without coffee or without caffeine? If the answer is no, he says, then you're most likely self-medicating your state of chronic sleep deprivation. My first response is, I don't know, maybe I could operate optimally before noon without caffeine, but why would I want to? <laughs> so, I'm not yet ready to go there, but I have actually started cutting back on caffeine. I used to be pretty just kind of willy-nilly about caffeine consumption, and I've tried to be more intentional about cutting back to like two or three cups um, a day instead of, I don't know, a lot. <laughs> so... Uh, along those lines, let's talk about what happens to most of us when we don't get enough sleep. Uh, how many of you have ever pulled an all-nighter? All right, I see some non-hands raised, which is great. Good for you. Most of us have, it turns out. Do you remember how you felt the next day? I mean, not, not great. Uh, well, it turns out that if you go about 10 days, for most of us, of only getting six hours of sleep, you actually will show up on tests as doing the same rate of like poorness as you would if you'd been up all night. So it only takes about 10 days of only sleeping six hours to be that impaired, whether you feel like that subjectively or not. And the other crucial thing is that it's actually quite hard to catch back up on missed sleep. So even after three days of what's called ad-lib sleep, that is of being able to sleep as long as you wanted those three days, performance did not return to the original baseline, so what, what those same people were like after, of getting a regular eight hours of sleep. Even three days of ad-lib sleep had not returned them to their baseline. Conversely, when, when we do get the recommended eight hours of sleep or closer to it, sleep, sleep has been shown to be one of the most sophisticated, powerful, potent, and legal performance enhancers. For all areas of your life, physical, mental, emotional, professional athletes, NASA, they all take this very seriously, like 
professional sports teams all have like sleep consultants and nap pods like Jen was talking about. Like they, they know this matters. I'll give you one example. If you obtain anything less than eight hours of sleep, especially less than six hours at night, the following happens. Your time to physical exhaustion drops between 10 to 30%. Now some of us may be like, I don't know, I don't care. But if you're in the NBA, you do care about 10 to 30% um, drop. Uh, your aerobic output is significantly reduced. Similar impairment is observed in limb extension force and vertical jump height, together with decreases in peak and sustained um, muscle strength. So you really care about all those things if you're an athlete. So how do we get these benefits? What are some of the practices for improving our sleep hygiene? I also see Bob out there. He, uh, we were talking about this earlier. It reminds me that he was saying, if any of you are feeling sleepy, this is the most... Uh, the greatest of all sermons to sleep through. So, <laughs> so, right on about that. So how do we improve our sleep hygiene? Well, there's a handout in your order of service that's um, colored blue. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but that is a great resource that's an appendix in Walker's book. So I would encourage you to uh, read that sometime and think about it later today or in the next week. And I would also encourage you to don't feel like you have to tackle all 12 of those things at once. You know, see what's the kind of low-hanging fruit for you and maybe over time incorporate more of them. Uh, to, sh to highlight just four for you that have been really significant for me, or one I should say about the caffeine, uh, I've really been in quite, th this one's easier for me to do, to stop drinking caffeine eight hours before bedtime. That's just a simple one that is really helpful for a lot of us. Uh, the second that is pretty difficult but actually really important uh, is to keep the same sleep schedule every day. Whatever the earliest time you consistently have to get up each week, just make that your wake-up time. I know that's hard for a lot of us to hear, but it really is better to have a consistent wake-up and sleep time. Uh, napping, super important, you know, setting that, uh, set, if you can take a 30-minute nap, I mean, set your clock for 30 minutes. Uh, the two final things are falling asleep. Um, I really recommend, and a lot of people have had success with this, there's an Insight Timer app that you can get, and there's, it's free on smartphones, and you just flip over to, um, it's called Improve Your Sleep. And I've talked to a huge number of people that have had a lot of success with listening to these free Improve Your Sleep meditations. I actually listen to Audible, so books on tape. I'll pick a favorite novel so I don't get hooked. It's basically like having someone read you a bedtime story, uh, that, uh, and I pick a novel that I'm not going to get hooked on because I've already read it before. I know where it's going, so I can just, that's what I do and it works for me. And then I don't have to look at the screen, right? So when I'm ready to go to bed, I just pull the plug and set my phone aside. Uh, waking up, what's been really helpful for me, your mileage may vary, but have any of you heard of or used a sunrise simulation alarm clock? Any hands out there? We had a few in the first service. They're really cool. You can, of course, pay all manner of dollars for them. I got like the $40 version online, but the, these alarm clocks, they, because actually really terrible for your body to, have any of you, you know, when you wake, think about how you feel when you're waking up from a deep sleep by an alarm clock, it causes a fight or flight response in your body. It's very hard on your cardiovascular system. It's very shocking. And if you use a snooze alarm, you're just doing that, you're shocking your body like <laughs> every eight minutes for, however long it takes you to get out of bed. So what these sunrise simulators do is 30 minutes before you set the alarm, it just slowly raises the light in the room. So the advantage of that is that it's like just setting sunrise, that it's the same, sunrise at the same time in your room, 
all year round. This is a, a really kind of cool invention. Uh, the final thing I'll say to you that uh, the most frequent reason that people have trouble sleeping is conflict or so something's really bothering them or some person. And the number one practice I recommend for that is I just think to myself, once I realize it, uh, I'll say, why am I letting this person in bed with me? I am going to kick them out of bed, right? It may not solve the conflict, but just kick them mentally out of your bed, and then you may find if it's available to you to do some kind of what's called a Buddhist metta meditation. We're actually going to sing this in a second. You can turn if you want to hymn 1031 and the teal hymn while I'm talking you through this. But to do some kind of, you, you may or may not be able to offer this to them, but maybe even offer it to yourself once you've kicked, tried to kick this person mentally out of bed. Just offer to yourself, may I be filled with loving kindness? You know, may I be peaceful and at ease? May I be well, may I live with an open heart, or whatever phrase you need to hear to begin to cultivate a kind of different state shift within yourself.